Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Creating a Family. Talk about adoption and infertility. We're a weekly radio show podcast, and to make sure that you automatically hear about each episode, I suggest that you sign up at our RSS feed, either at iTunes or on the radio page of our site, creatingafamily.org. Today's show will be everything you ever wanted to know about open adoption. I'm Dawn Davenport, the director of Creating a Family. We're a nonprofit providing education, resources, and most importantly, support for all types of adoption and infertility. You can find us, as I mentioned before, at creatingafamily.org. The Creating a Family radio show is underwritten by our corporate sponsor, Faring Pharmaceutical. If you're struggling with infertility, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. For comprehensive resources, including infertility information, treatment options, and ways to save money, you can check out the all-new faringfertility.com. One of the things we do here at Creating a Family is blog. Well, actually, it's one of the things that I do here at Creating a Family, and I do it three times a week. My subjects are usually relevant to adoption or infertility. A recent one that you might enjoy was my blog yesterday, and it was uh, tight. Well, the um, it was based on a comment we received. It's about adoption fundraising, and uh, it uh, uh, the title is is adoption fundraising insensitive or disrespectful. And the person who commented uh, on a previous blog about uh, giving ideas uh, by one of our audience had had submitted ideas for creative ways to fundraise. And her comment was that she felt it was uh, disrespectful, and, and in essence, she found it demeaning. Uh, so we're having, uh, so we, we raised that to a blog in itself, and are discussing just that topic. And we're really having a great and thoughtful discussion over on the blog right now. And we would love to have you join us. Creating a family uh, could not happen without the generous support of our gold sponsors, including Children's Connection. They're an adoption agency with offices throughout Texas and provide services throughout the United States, domestic infant adoption, embryo donation adoption, home studies, and post-adoption support to adoptive families. We also have Nightlight Christian Adoptions. They have offices in California, Colorado, and South Carolina, and adoption programs throughout the world, and a domestic infant program, and, of course, their Snowflakes Embryo Donation Embryo Adoption Program, which they're well known for. We are a nonprofit, as you could just tell, and one of the ways we pay our bills is through our wonderful sponsors who believe in our mission of bringing you unbiased, accurate information and supporting you on whatever your path is to achieving parenthood. So one of the ways you could help us is by supporting those who do support us. You've just heard about a few of our gold sponsors, but we also have other sponsors as well. You can find them on our adoption server, we just it's a service provider page. Uh, we list adoption agencies, adoption therapists, just a whole host of, of service providers uh, for your adoption journey and your adoption parenting. Um, you can, as I mentioned, you can find it on the service provider page of our site, and you can search by location, number of years in operation, uh, humanitarian aid, just a, 
a whole host of factors that we think are important. And by doing so, you support us, and we thank you. Today on the Creating a Family show, we're talking about everything you ever wanted to know about open adoption but were afraid to ask or didn't know who to ask. Well, we have that person to ask with us here today. Our guest is Lori Holden. She is author of the new book, The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption, Helping Your Child Grow Up Whole. I love the book, and I am so looking forward to talking with Lori about it. Welcome, Lori Holden, to Creating a Family. Thank you so much, Don, and I want to uh, thank you and Creating a Family and all of your sponsors for the terrific work you do in educating and in fostering respectful dialogue around so many of the issues that come up with infertility and adoption. Thank you. I, I do appreciate it. I appreciate that coming from you. You, are, you participate in some of our online groups, and I appreciate that. And, and I, you know, there is so often lacking in the internet world uh, and, and and I'm very much a part of the internet world, world and I'm not really one of those who disses it on a routine basis but there does seem to be a a sore absence of places where a respectful dialogue does happen uh and and that's in many ways the the heart of your book is the word respect but before we get there I want to start off with a more general question how many adoptions, and, and, and at this point let's just talk of infant adoptions, but then I want to broaden it out. How many domestic infant adoptions in the United States have some degree of openness now? Uh, I'm not sure the, the actual number, but the estimates are by the, um, by the Donaldson Institute that uh, at least 90% of adoptions these days are uh, being done in some form of openness. And I think that's really, really good news for the children in adoption. Um, we're coming out of this dark and closed stage, and I think a lot of times people think that this openness is the anomaly. And really, when you look back at the history of adoption, it was the closed era that was this multi-decade anomaly. And we're coming out of that now. We've, we're getting rid of the shame and the darkness and the secrecy, and that can only be beneficial for the children. That's an interesting point. Um, First of all, we probably ought to, I think there is a great misconception uh, in the world of especially pre-adoptive parents, not so much post-adoptive parents, but people who are first thinking. I hear a lot of people saying, well, I know I don't want uh, an open adoption, but, but what we find when we dig just slightly deeper is that they really don't have an idea of what we mean by an open adoption. So what do you mean when you use the word open adoption? And that that is such a great first question because I think a lot of people believe that openness is the same thing as contact. And they probably have a scheme in their mind of of this continuum, and on one end it's closed and there's no contact, and at the other end it's wide open and maybe you live next door to each other and take vacations together. And that can seem very scary. But I propose that that openness isn't really a continuum, it's more of a grid, because contact is part of it, but contact is not the same as openness. The other factor that needs to be taken into account is how open um, you plan to parent or how open you can deal with your own fears and um, worries as you go through the journey of adoption. And so you can have a lot of contact but not be open. You can have no contact and parent in an open way. 
you can have openness and contact, and you can have no contact and no openness. So there's kind of four different ways. So we've we've turned a spectrum into a grid by adding the dimension of openness to the dimension of contact. Okay, gotcha. So what you're saying, if I understand it, is that uh, the the other misconception that I think is is very prevalent although seldom actually worded this way, but the concept that openness means co-parenting, that in fact you will not be your child's parent, that that you will be sharing the parenting, the day-to-day parenting decisions and uh, uh, and everything else with the first parents. Uh, how does that fit with your grid that you've that you have? Yes, I, and I think that is a fear that a lot of people have. It, it is, and I understand it. I remember what it was like when we were starting out on parenting. First of all, you're 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 bruised already from not being able to contribute to the gene pool, and on top of that, you realize that somebody else who is able to contribute to the gene pool, um, you'll be dependent on that person to make you a mother or a father, and so. Um, you're bonded with this person just because of their their feast is your solves your famine, but um, but that doesn't mean that you co-parent together. It um, it it means that um, that person has a role in your child's life, and that you have to get yourself over the idea that you're not the only mother or father with a claim on that child, and that's okay. It's that that's not a hard thing to get over if you just. Um, take a look at it and examine it. That's so much of our fears. If it, it's they're, they're, they make you afraid just because you haven't examined them. So that's a really easy one to to pull out and examine that you won't be the only. But that's a hard one for a lot of people. I mean, you know, the thought that you have to share your child with another set of parents is, I think, very hard for uh, people. Again, going back to when they're first contemplating adoption. I think that is a huge issue uh, for uh, people. So how would you suggest, you know, getting over it? None of us wants to, you're right, we are bruised. We we came to this, many people, not everyone, but many people come to adoption after a grueling torture fest uh, that is infertility and infertility treatment. Um, and, and they want to be a parent. It was actually an adult adoptee, or several people have pointed this out to me, from the adoptee realm, they tell me, we fully expect that a child can love more than one parent, and it doesn't take away from one parent um, uh, to love another. Well, we, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. We, we fully expect that a parent can love more than one child. We, mul- we multiply love when it goes from parent to child. Why can't we also see that a child is able to love more than one parent, claim more than one parent, without it taking away from any of those parents. Again, it's love that's multiplying, not love that's divided, not a finite amount of love that has to be shared among the, the parent figures in a child's life. So that was the, the aha moment for me. Of course, I can love my son and I can love my daughter, and it doesn't take away anything from either of them. Why can I not expect them to also be able to love me and their birth mothers and their birth fathers without it taking away anything from me? From a practical standpoint, what degree of openness do you have with your – you have two children that are adopted, a son first and then a daughter. Um, are they both open adoptions? And if so, where do you fall on the grid of openness? I would say all all four of my children's birth parents we are very open with. 
we have varying degrees of contact with each of them because of um, their situations, their preferences, and logistics, just where we all live. My daughter, who's now 12, um, I, I'm very, very close with her birth mom. She contributed to the book, and um, you'll, you'll find a lot of her thought processes in there about mm-hmm when she was getting ready to make an adoption plan, when she was getting ready to place, what it's been like for her as those 12 years have rolled along. Um, I love her her input. Yeah, that was a great great addition to the book, I thought. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, We brought my daughter's birth father. We sought him out. Um, When she was maybe six or seven, he had been absent for various reasons up till that time. But as soon as it seemed... like a good idea to bring him into our into our extended family. We did that, and he lives nearby. We invite him to her volleyball games and choir recitals and things like that, and so he's likely to show up for those along with his family. My son, who's now 10, um, we are in more phone contact with both his birth mother and birth father uh, because of distance. And so we are planning this this summer to uh, meet his birth father for the first time, and I'm very excited for that. So, and that raises such an interesting question, is how do you handle one of the issues that often comes up when you adopt more than one child is varying degrees of openness, uh, which differs between your children, including um, some adoptions that uh, uh, are actually where there is no openness and no contact for whatever reason could have been uh, the first family's choice, could have been that parental rights were terminated and there's a safety issue. I mean, there's a whole host of reasons that can go on as to why you might have a fully open uh, relationship with one child's uh, birth family and yet a very closed. Uh, You don't exactly have that, but you've talked with many people who have had to deal with varying degrees of openness between their children. Um, So... What do you suggest? That's an awkward situation, or it can be. How do you suggest handling that? The bigger issue on this is that we must raise our children in the world as it is and not the world as we want it to be. So when there is an imbalance or an inequality in the presence of birth parents between two children in the same family, you can't make it right. I mean, you you can't make it equal. You can help your child... um, deal with things as they are. You can allow them to hurt. You can allow them the space to grieve. And you can uphold for them the idea that they are strong enough to get through it. I think the, I think those are the, the main things that a parent can do in that. In that you, you can try to pull in the birth parents. You can try to make contact. Um, but, you know, in, in international cases and in some other cases, it's, it's just not possible you help your child deal with what is. Yeah, you, you that makes can't, sense. You can't take the child who has a lot of contact and reduce the contact for the child who doesn't have a lot of contact. That's not. That's not. That doesn't solve the problem, and it creates a new problem. You know this, and this is not really a solution to the problem. But I have seen. I'm going to raise it just simply because I've seen it happened more than once. Um, explaining to the, the uh, let's say you have more contact with your first child's uh, birth family, explaining to uh, your first child's birth mother or birth father or birth grandparent 
that the second child does not have as much contact and might feel a little left out. And I have seen uh, uh, first families just envelop uh, both children and envelop and, and, and create opportunities. Now, the reality is, you know, it isn't that the, 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 they aren't they aren't genetically related, but uh, biologically related. But they they have gone out of their way, and oftentimes I hear they go out of their way to. Uh, be kind to and to incorporate and to uh, make the second child feel not left out. Uh, so I think I'm it's so glad you brought that up because that that is exactly um, what has happened for us as well. Is that uh, Crystal and her family and Joe and his family? Those are my birth my daughter's birth parents. They claim Reed, my son, as much as they claim Tessa, my daughter. And we let them. We let Joe know when he came into our family that, you know, we're a package deal. We're, we're all together, <laughs> and we'll all be involved. In, in we know you have a special connection to Tessa, but you know, Reed's part of us too. And and you know, that was not a stretch for anybody. Yeah, it often isn't. In fact, you know, I, I hear stories where, uh, say, the birth grandmother when in, is is giving a gift. Uh, say a Christmas gift or whatever, and make certain that she always gets an equal gift. You know, if, if there's such a thing as an equal gift, yeah. but, you know, a, a, an equally nice gift for all the children in the family. So, in a way, uh, you use the word bringing somebody into your extended family. Um, they uh, become the, uh, the the universal grandparent uh, or the universal uh, birth parent. Um, not to say that that uh, as as our children grow older, they don't realize that there is a distinction. And perhaps feel that loss, but nonetheless, it takes care of some of the more uh, mundane issues of, oh, yes, well, she's present. going, you know, she, yeah, exactly, or just yeah, our our contact, or feeling special, or or whatever. Um, we got a question that I thought was a great one. Um, she asked that we list some of the more typical challenges, as well as some of the more less common ones to open adoption and give examples regarding how to overcome them. She says open adoption is a very important topic. Thank you again for inviting this wonderful author to your show. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a great – we can sing the praises of it, but the reality is it can sometimes be challenging. Um, as as are many relationships and many family relationships, uh, which is one of the things I do try to remind people um, that uh, it's not uh, if um, having a, a first family in to your adding them into your extended family is not significantly different from having other members in your family, some of which are challenging, some of which are just joys. Uh, it can be both ways. It's not that different. Um, so, what do you, what do you think are some of the more common challenges to uh, open adoption? Uh, That's such a great question, and there's a whole chapter um, and a half devoted to the the challenges that occur to each in each corner of the triad. One of the ones that we feel that we hear a lot from the adoptive parent side is that um, they feel the birth mother's pain so acutely and they feel guilty for her pain and they're taking on her pain. And, I, you know, the, the solution to that is that it's, it's a conscious decision whether you take on somebody's pain or not. You need to know your own bound, boundaries and have them set in a way that serves you and serves you as a parent and serves your, um, your child's birth parent. Um, because taking on somebody's pain doesn't really have a benefit, have an upside. It has a lot of downsides. So once you realize that you're doing that, you can decide consciously, 
okay, let me breathe through this. I, I don't need to take this on. It doesn't. It's not serving me. So um, she she is in pain right now. What can I do to help her with that pain? Um, and but but not to take it on. And also to uphold for her, like like I mentioned earlier with your child, that you uphold for her that she is strong enough to get through this. That that she's here for the long term. You're here for the long term. And that emotions in motion get resolved. So just um, trusting in the process. Um, yeah, that's so. Feeling pain, feeling that taking on the pain, and 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 more importantly, uh, I also see that we're assuming the guilt of, you know, but for uh, her pain or his pain, the birth mother's pain or the birth father's pain, I would not be experiencing this joy. Uh, therefore, their pain somehow uh, should diminish my joy. One thing that I would point out for that is that uh, we've interviewed many uh, birth moms and birth dads here on Creating a Family. And for the most part, those who have felt supported in making the decision, even though they would acknowledge that that it is a huge grief, um, I've never heard a one say that they want to diminish the joy that the adoptive family is feeling. And in fact, Many, and in particular because I've spoken with more women than men, so I'll use the the female gender here, many women who have made this choice take pleasure in seeing the joy that the adoptive parents are feeling because it reaffirms their decision. So as opposed to focusing on just the the pain, acknowledge that, that in fact your joy might be bringing her some degree of solace in, in a very dark time. Have you seen yeah, that as well at all? Yes, we um we met we met Crystal when she was like in the final week of her pregnancy. Of course, we didn't know that at the time, but um she actually had to ask us to be more excited. And she, by her giving us permission and letting us know that part of her she was doing all of this for the baby she was carrying and part of what would be beneficial to the baby she was carrying. Again, we didn't know the gender was that this baby would be received into joy. And so she yes. wanted us to have that joy. And once she gave us permission, it did two things. One, it allowed us to, to enjoy uh, a small portion of this pregnancy, and but it also kind of created this um, bond that we had with her of being able to be very clear with each other after being clear within ourselves. I was so blown away by her her presence of mind to be able to say that to me. We have a question from Lucille, and it, it has to do with whether or not to invite the uh, her, her uh, soon-to-be child's birth mother, or at this point's expected woman, who uh, has chosen them to be the adoptive parents, to a baby shower, and she is uh, wondering if that would be appropriate. What would you say to Lucille? Oh, that is that is a really good question, Lucille. I would say that this could be a good opportunity to start laying some patterns of how to communicate with your um, with the expectant mother and ask her. There's a section in our book where we talk about how to start these dialogues, and one of them is, if I invited you to this baby shower, how would you feel? And so, you know, test test her out with this. How how does that feel to her? It 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 may be something that she would love to be part of. It may be something that she would want to avoid. But by asking her. You've given the power to her. Exactly. 
and, and and acknowledging that you would we would love to have you come but but I can also appreciate that that might be something that would be hard so I wanted to turn find out from you what would what do you want to do in this situation and anything you choose yeah. will be fine by me so besides just dealing with the issue of the baby shower, you're figuring out how to talk with each other respectfully and how to find clarity together and get to um, the, the real root emotions that are going on. And that will serve you for the long term, much longer than just one event. Absolutely. And, and that brings us to the very important issue of communication and ongoing communication. Um, this is a person whom you have uh, not known for long when you were first getting together. Uh, and, and it's so intense uh, at the beginning. Oh, it's it's so intense at the beginning that it doesn't lend itself to good communication because everybody's emotions are strung about as tight as they could possibly be strung. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you might also, in fact, likely you will have quite different communication styles. So uh, how do we start off... How do we set up communication? This would fall under the, the rubric of uh, common challenges. Establishing a communication method that works for everybody but ultimately works uh, in the best interest of the child, which let's keep in mind is who we're really su- supposed to be doing all this for. So um, let's talk some about communication, different styles and different things that have worked for different families. I'm, I'm going to start by talking about boundaries. And then we'll get into communication because um, setting boundaries is something that you do within yourself and then it makes communication easier because you're clear on what your boundaries are. And as you're setting your boundaries, you want to find that mesh that serves you well. You're trying to keep un, uh, things you don't want out, but the same mesh will also keep out things that you do want. So um, so as we, once you figure out what your fears are and what you're trying to keep out, what you t- want to let in, then you can start trying to communicate those. And you also want to be make sure that your boundaries are um, reasonable. So as you communicate, you're trying to um, be very clear within yourself so that you can be clear with the other person. And one of the things they teach about in, in assertiveness training is that you want to find the place that's between being passive and being aggressive, and that's the place where you're assertive when your boundaries are in place, you can have that. So one of the techniques they use is um, if uh, you can say, I feel blank when you blank. Now, we, we, aren't, we aren't working with a past relationship here, so you can ask questions. If I, if I uh, invited you to the baptism, how would you feel? So we're talking about um, feelings, um, situations, and just trying to find clarity with those. So much of it, though, stems from clarity within yourself. That has to come first. Okay, so getting clear in yourself. I like the idea of thinking through what you want to let in and what you want to keep out, um, and being realistic about you know that you can't uh, you can't weave your net so tight um, to keep any possibility of something that you don't want out, and still allow enough light to come in that you're wanting. So it's a the mesh analogy is a good one. Um, so the first thing is becoming clear in your head as to well, what you're seeking uh, as far as a relationship. Um, and then setting up the uh, the communication. Practically speaking, um, if you have been using uh, phone calls and meetings, um, would you automatically continue that after the birth? Uh, 
how how would you do that or would you uh and if the and if you've got distance as an issue how do you overcome the distance boundaries you know when we talked with um birth mothers as part of writing uh, researching this book a lot of them said plan on how you're going to communicate after the birth at, for the first few months who's who's going to be the one making contact who's going to be the one waiting for somebody to make contact do you both have permission to make that contact what method do you want to use so these are all things that that you that should be talked about they can happen by accident or they can happen on purpose and on purpose is, it just makes everything a lot easier because you've you've talked about it you've both agreed to something mm-hmm. um and who gets to make the contact and how it is. Is it going to be by Skype? Is it going to be by phone, by email, by Facebook? Um, showing up at the door if if you're local. Um, so so the, the main thing is just talk about those things. And, and as you talk, if you have fears around them, either either party, they'll come up and then you can look at them and make the plan around those fears or release the fears. A lot of times when you look at them, they aren't so bad. What we hear from a lot of of uh, adoptive parents is that in the pre-birth, the match stage, you're matched with a, a birth mother who has chosen you, you're in the match stage, she has not relinquished parental rights. Birth parents feel that they uh, have to agree to anything and everything for fear that she will change her mind. Now, they may not say it quite so bluntly, but that is the underlying fear. And then conversely, what we hear from um, birth parents, in fact, said so on, um, I guess it was last year's, we usually have an annual uh, birth mother a panel, a show of, a panel of birth mothers. And last year's, on last year's show, a, a woman was, she was so articulate and it was so painful where she felt like she was having to just grub for scraps after the birth that, that that she was so afraid of being cut out that she was afraid to ask for anything that might be perceived as uh, as intrusive, even if if what she was asking for was was pretty minor, you know, uh, send me more pictures, please, or could we connect on Facebook and and so I could see pictures or you know, things like that. Um, have you also heard that? And and if so, how do we overcome kind of that divide, which is each person feeling that they are powerless at different stages? That's a real good thing to be aware of, especially for adoptive parents. You feel so powerless until all the papers are signed, and then you, all of a sudden you have all the power. And you should never, I, I, would, I would caution people, never forget what it's like to feel powerless and to feel like you're groveling because um, nowhere else in our life would we want to have a relationship with somebody who has to grovel for us. That's not a relationship. That's a, um, it's something icky. It doesn't feel good to be on either side of that imbalance. What you want is a respectful relationship where each person has a voice, can be heard, contributes, and um, it's symbiotic. It's not a supplicant and and somebody who has it all. It it sets you up for failure if you wield your power like a sword, and it cannot be good for your child either because you're, you're setting up that child to be split between his biology his birth parents and his biography, the life that you're writing for him, and no, no, no parent wants to, to consciously split their child like that. Amen. You are listening to Creating a Family. We are a weekly radio show podcast on adoption and infertility. We provide resources on all types of adoption. One resource you might enjoy is a Creating a Family video we have on open adoption and how to do it well. 
You can find it on our adoption video page at creatingafamily.org. You go to the blue horizontal menu at the top of the site, hover over the word adoption, and then click on videos, and it will take you to all of our videos, or you can go to the Creating a Family channel on YouTube. I would also be very appreciative if you would take the time to go to iTunes and rate this podcast. Uh, it helps a lot for other people being able to find uh, this uh, this podcast, and that helps us, and it helps helps them as well. We had a question uh, that came up on the uh, Creating a Family Facebook group a while back, uh, and it was sent in anonymously. But it uh, it raised a, an, an interesting issue and one I wanted to uh, check out with you. The situation was that the uh, adoptive parents had renamed the baby. It was an infant adoption uh, and had renamed uh, a newborn infant adoption, I should add, had renamed the child. Uh, the uh, first parents had agreed to, to the renaming, but, but they had uh, they also had named the child, but they were totally aware of the fact and uh, and apparently had been approving of the fact that the adoptive parents would change the name. Um, and then as time went on, they continued to refer to the child during visits um, by the name they gave the child. The uh, adoptive parents were confused by this and I think maybe a little challenged by this and were uh, even considering perhaps the possibility of, of uh, terminating contact because of that. Uh, and I want to talk later about the terminating contact part, but for now, uh, the part that I want to focus on is how would you handle a situation like that? This is a very pra- a very uh, real-world example of, of communication and action, shall we say. So how would you handle that situation? And this is also a boundary issue. And uh, I had the privilege of hearing Don Friedman speak at a conference that we were both at a couple of years ago. And her acid test, is to for these boundary issues is to pretend it's somebody else in your extended family. I love that one. I didn't know Dawn came up with that, but I I use that. I'm not sure if she originated it, but it's a very wise thing because that kind of takes the adoption charge out of it. So if the situation is that um, grandma keeps calling your son by the wrong name, how would you handle that? You would probably go to grandma and say, you know, it's really confusing to our son that he has one name in all areas of his life, and then you call him a different name. You you really don't want to make life difficult, more difficult for him and confuse him, do you? And she'll, if she sees it from his point of view, hopefully she'll back down. If she doesn't, then you have to figure out, is this worth shutting contact with Grandma over? Which kind of seems extreme, but maybe maybe the problems are so great that you can't find another way. And that is exactly the test that I recommend everyone use when they, in an open adoption, when they when they hit up against an issue, and their uh, and their their feelings have become involved, they're they're on edge and they're trying to decide. I say, imagine a scenario where it is your cousin or your grandmother, and yeah. uh, a, a cousin that you don't love but you like, you know, uh, a grandmother who you feel you know you, you care about. You know, you care about her. She's a little annoying, perhaps, but you care about her. How would you handle it in that situation? Um, And I think it's important not to use your parents when you're imagining this because with our parents, there's usually a whole lot of other stuff that goes on and can tie in that baggage. But remove it. Take it just a step removed. Could be an aunt. Could be a cousin. Could be a grandparent. An in-law. 
Yeah. And in, well, an in-law, although that sometimes ties in other issues as well. So I like to keep it in your own family so that you're, you're we're removing as many different issues as we can. Right. And say, yes. what would you do? How would you handle this if the person uh, shows up at your house, you know, when you know more often than you want? How would you handle that? And it's your grandmother or it's your cousin. How would you handle it? Um, and usually. Uh, if there's any form of communication going on in the family, the answer is, well, you know, I would tell, I would discuss it in some way. I would, I would, we would figure out how to talk about it, um, or I'd try to get somebody else to help me talk about it. You know, something along those lines. So, yeah, that is such a, a really, I think it is, it is a way of, as you said, pulling as much as you can, the, the, um, the emotions are, are the, the, the often threatened feeling that some parents. You bring into the adoption uh, uh, relationship. Um, but the second part of that, that I wanted to discuss is and, and that this uh, person brought up too, and I know that you've experienced some of this in your own open adoption relationships, and that is what to do when you feel, first of all, how do you decide on it, the, the need to change the level of openness that you have? And uh, what should be the criteria for making that decision of of altering the prearranged agreement or the prearranged pattern that you've set up? Well, I think a lot of times people feel like something is either open or closed or maybe even somewhere in between, but all of our relationships are always in flux. So I, I hesitate to say we're going to keep this open or we're going to keep this closed because people change, situations change, the child is growing up, the child will eventually have their own relationship with his or her own birth parents, most likely. And you want to be, um, you want to have the privilege of being part of that because you've, you've nurtured it in the ways that you can all along the way. I think closing contact down is something that can be done mindfully, um, as this ebb and flow of a relationship as it as it needs to happen from either side, but to make a sweeping statement and say, "Well, this is closed now that's that's what concerns me is because you you're not allowing for people to grow and change in the situation to morph into something different in in the future. Does that make sense yeah, it does, okay, so in the situation where uh, you're feeling that somebody. Well, first of all, what before we talk about the uh, the how? What I heard you say was it was that don't make it, don't make sweeping decisions uh, of a permanent nature. Alter it right. for the time being. Um, right. What type of situations would warrant, uh, in your mind, changing the openness? The degree of openness, and, and obviously, since we're, we're the way we're phrasing this, it would it would be uh, reducing the level of openness. First of all, when we talk about openness and contact, I, we are assuming that there is safety and stability um, there. It, uh, that goes without saying. So, if there were some sort of safety or stability concerns, then then that may be a reason to constrict contact at at that point in time. Wait, before you go in, further, what do you mean sure. by stability issues? Safety, I think we all get that the person is a threat in some way to the child. Um, but stability is a little less, is a little more nebulous. What do you mean by that? It, 
a wise parent will never let their child know that something's going to happen until it's about to happen. So you wouldn't build up the expectation saying, oh, um, so-and-so is going to be at your game today and let, until you see the whites of their eyes because you do that over and over again and that, per, that child is getting let down, oh, he didn't show up again or she didn't show up again. That kind of instability is, is one situation where I, where I can think of where you, you're, just, you're not going to bring it up until it's a done deal, until it's a sure thing. No, but you were saying that, that, that safety and stability were two reasons uh, that you might want to reduce the level of, of contact or openness. Uh, and, and I was wondering what you meant by stability. I assumed you were referring to the, uh, uh, the birth parents' uh, stability, but what do you mean by that? Yeah, and, and, and what I'm saying is that if, if, they're, if they're not showing up when they say they're going to show up, don't mm-hmm. promise that they're going to show up. The, the instability of not always following through, mm-hmm. keep some of that in, behind. Um, don't bring it up to your child. If you've got an unstable birth parent who doesn't follow through with what they say they're going to do, doesn't show up, doesn't call on the birthdays or something, don't uh, don't put it in front of your child that that's going to happen until it actually happens. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Um, I have uh, we received a question about altering the uh, level of contact. She didn't specifically say openness uh, because the birth parents smoke and uh, and and apparently smoke in front of the child. Um, the adoptive parents um, don't approve of smoking and also are concerned about the hazards of second-hand smoke. Um, and the particular issue that came up, they were not in an enclosed environment. They were at a park, uh, which from the birth parent standpoint, I would assume felt like it was less of an issue. The adoptive parents did not agree and were thinking about terminating contact. In that situation, um, how would you uh, analyze that from the standpoint of safety or stability? I think I would um, use the cousin test again. If mm-hmm. this were your cousin, would you stop contact with your cousin because of that? Um, the other concern as an adoptive parent that I would have is my child is seeing this behavior. It, would that make my child more likely to take on this behavior when when she grows up or when he grows up? And they were also worried um, so, about that as, as well. It was uh, Rob who was sending it, and he was also concerned that it was uh, encouraging uh, his child to perhaps want to smoke when they were older. And, and I think that if your child is old enough, that opens up a, way, a, a chance for you to talk about this. What do you think about these decisions? Um, what, how do you feel about smoking? Here's how we feel about smoking. Here's how we feel about health. Here's how we feel about habits and uh, taking on only good habits and being mindful of what you do and um, and maybe even asking the birth parents to talk to the child. I, I smoke. I wish I didn't. I wish I could quit. It's really hard. It's really expensive. I mean, those are those are some of the things you might do if it were a cousin or a brother-in-law is use that, turn that into a teaching experience because you can't protect your child from everything. You can't keep everything bad out. Um, mm-hmm. So exactly. is it something that can be yeah. used to, to educate? I think that's a great uh, response. And if the, um, if the birth parent coughs as a result of smoking, and if they don't, they soon will, um, then you can point out about how you worry about them, that you know that that has to be bad, you know, that to be coughing, and 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 use that as a way of educating your kid on the 
um, uh, the problems associated with smoking. Yeah, and uh, that and, and use as you point out a teachable moment. Creating a family has the largest adoption and infertility communities on the social networks, and we would love to have you join us. On Twitter, you can find me at Dawn Davenport One, or you can connect at the Creating a Family Twitter account, which is Creating a Family, all one word. On Facebook, there are three ways you can connect with us. Dawn Davenport One is my personal account. Uh, there is also the Creating a Family Family page. Uh, on Facebook, as well as the Creating a Family Support Group. You can find either the page or the support group, or the group, uh, in, in Facebook parlance, was called a group, by typing in the words Creating a Family in the Facebook search box, and both the page pops up, and we'd love to have you like that. And then uh, the group will also pop up, and we would have to join that, and we would love to have you join us there. Speaking of Facebook, um, Facebook has, and, and other social networks, have uh, created both an opportunity as well as a stumbling block uh, for communication and for uh, openness and contact within open adoptions. How have you seen Facebook used well, and, and what are some of the pitfalls that you think people need to avoid? Uh, Facebook is another place to practice boundaries, <laughs> and I know that <laughs> some of the across um, the board, and we can say that regardless yes. of the adoption context. <laughs> exactly, exactly. One of the common things that I that um, I see happening on Facebook is a difference in policy on posting pictures. And so again, it's a time to say, you know, we we don't put pictures of our child up on social media yet. We're trying to keep their footprint small. Um, until they're able to manage their own online footprint. And so we would really like it if you would abide by our wishes and not post those on Facebook. And, you know, most of the time, if it's if it's put in a way that serves the child, the um, other party is more than happy to accommodate. Or maybe something can be worked out. Can I just put it on this private page? Um, Again, it's it's finding being clear in yourself and what the real issues are, and then being able to communicate that in a clear manner with um, your child's other parents. Yeah, and that's a good one. And, and here, perhaps the test would be if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you don't put pictures of yourself up, but your boyfriend or your girlfriend uh, wants to put a picture of the two of you up. You know. Would you break off your relationship with them because of that, or would that be something right. that you would try to negotiate with them? Um, yeah, that's a that I do think that uh, Facebook opens up a lot of possibilities. I've seen it used well. I've seen people use it as a way of setting up a group for all family members, including uh, birth family members and extended family uh, birth family members, as well as their own family, um, and uh, use that as a way of making it a closed group and using it as a way to share pictures, um, you know, do your parental bragging, things like that. Um, and it's been used very well that way. Um, what are some of the other pitfalls you've mentioned that, that Facebook uh, presents? You've mentioned the uh, birth family perhaps uh, sharing pictures and the adoptive family preferring that that not happen. Um, any others that you can think of? Well, I'm trying to think of any common ones. That That one actually just happened to us, uh, we we have a no pictures policy for our children and um, Tessa went and spent a, a weekend with her birth mom and birth family recently and the birth grandmother uh, was so proud, took a picture of all three of them together and posted it and then 
Crystal immediately texted me and she said, I'm so sorry this happened. I'll get it down right away. And I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> as long as you take it down, it's okay. So yeah, she was exactly. Aware of In that case, yeah, I mean, I think sometimes we just have to analyze, all right, is one picture worth saying something to a grandmom who uh, was showing her pride and meant no harm and, you know, is 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 it that important that we um, react the way that we do and and insist? Yeah, it certainly wasn't worth any hard feelings, um, and 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 in no way would we ever consider closing things down because of something like that. But but you can see that there was a mutual respect there. Um, Crystal respected us enough to let us know and to um, help make things in a way that that um, made us comfortable again and. And even even Tessa was in on. She's like, "Oh no, we don't do that." So, I'm I'm, I'm pleased that my daughter is growing up knowing that um, what what goes online does matter. Yeah, well, yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, I've certainly yeah. seen that a <laughs> lot. So I've got. Yeah, well, mine are older, and so I've I've certainly. I'm at the stage now where I can say things that. You know, any mine are applying for internships and you know summer jobs and things like that. And I say, you know, the first place any potential employer looks mm-hmm. is on Facebook. So you want to be very careful that you are portraying a, a portrait of yourself that that you would be that you would be proud of. Um, what are some other if if you were asked for the top five tips or the top two tips? Um, for establishing a uh, open adoption that would best serve a child, what would they be? I think the first one would be be comfortable in your own role in your child's life. Because so many of the problems with openness and with contact come from that piece not being there. That's where the fear comes in. That's where the, um, the rigid boundaries come in that have to be patrolled like a like a pit bull instead of like a border collie um so oh i like that analogy the more secure you can feel in your role the less other issues the fewer other issues you're going to have you are your child if i'm talking to the adoptive parents you are your child's mom you're there you're um taking care of things at night you're taking care of things during the day you're there you're there you're there you're there and your child has a birth mom to whom she owes her existence, and that person has a value too. So it's it's moving from this either-or mindset that we all have into a both-and mindset where your child can claim and be claimed by both and not be split by the either-or. Okay, that's, that's a great the overarching one. theme, I think, of this book. Yes, and the book does is it does the the book. Let me say the name again: the Open Hearted Way to Open Adoption. Uh, does a wonderful job of of, uh, of uh, establishing the that it is better for our children, and how do we do it to have a both and relationship uh, with their first family rather than an either or relationship? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I would agree with you a whole lot. So that was your uh, top tip. Uh, do you want to try to say a second tip, or would you rather not? Yeah, I want to. I, well, I want to um, say something about the birth parent perspective too, which of course I, I I don't have firsthand. I only have secondhand by listening to so many very wise and articulate birth parents. Um, but that is to treat your relationship with your child's other parents as some sort of as a sort of a marriage. You're joined 
together by somebody you love, and you are not less than, you are not more than, you are equal partners in this. And so claim your role, find your voice, be able to talk to your your counterpart. And you're on the same side. Try to put yourselves on the same sides of the issues, which is raising a whole child. Mm-hmm. So whenever possible... Yeah, that's a yeah. Whenever possible, put yourself on the same side. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a real that's that's really good. Um, let's shift a little and talk about what should parents who are going into an adoption uh, expect uh, when uh, from an agency helping them facilitate a healthy, uh, long-term relationship uh, with their child's first parents? One of the most important things is to to find an an agency that acts in an ethical manner. And um, what that means is finding somebody who is fair to birth parents, to expectant parents as they come in. And find an agency who is trying to find a home for a child and not a child for a home. It's been put like that in adoption world before. So you you want somebody, an agency who is not tracking down birth parents or expectant parents, who is not um, pr- telling adoptive parents to promise whatever you want in terms of openness and then, and then after the papers are signed, you can do whatever you want. Um, an agency who is uh, including birth expectant fathers in the process and not treating them as a nuisance or a signature to be gotten however we need to get it. There are, if, if you do a little bit of due diligence on the agency that you're looking into, um, you can find out not only how, how they perform for uh, adopting parents, but also how they approach and are approached by the people who have placed through them. That, that's we the other piece that people- I did not look into. Oh, uh, we often encourage people to go to the and make certain they check out the section of the adoption agency website that is geared specifically towards the birth parents, and and read that section with a fine eye to see if if uh, the expectant parents are being told different things uh, than the uh, than the adoptive parents. And also see what type of counseling is offered, and um, and for how long, um, because adoption is a journey, and uh, the issues associated with adoption for the first parents do not end at the birth of the child. In fact, quite frankly, they may be beginning at that point, and uh, so the counseling, in my opinion, needs to be there uh, for the long term. It needs to be able to support uh, birth parents after they make the decision, not just counseling set up for the intended purpose of encouraging them to make the decision. Uh, yeah, and, and the unified message, what you're talking about to the to both sides, it, that's an important point. Yeah, 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 it absolutely, it absolutely is. Um, and then what type of, of uh, how else, other than checking their website, how else can parents uh, scope out and get good, uh, reliable information on how uh, agencies treat birth parents. 
There okay, are Karen. websites set up to um, so that people can uh, evaluate an agency. I think if you if you just doing the due diligence the way you would with a restaurant that you're going to eat at or or something like that, Google it, find out what people say independent of it. Um, what is that website, Don? Do you know? Um, about no, but adoption the one where uh, well, there's someone for adoption agencies, um, but there's not. I, I don't know of one that encourages. Birth. There is one out there, though, I believe, that does encourage birth parents to um, to rate, and I don't know that. Um, I'll, uh, I tell you what, for those listening, uh, Lori or I, one, will try to find it, and we will post it. Uh, I'll post it. Uh, uh, Lori, I just you found find it. it. It's, in, it's in my book's resources section. It's called AdoptionAgencyRatings.com. And do they have a section on AdoptionAgencyRatings.com for birth parents? I believe they do. Oh, excellent. Okay. That I uh, wasn't sure. I was familiar with adoption agency ratings, but I didn't know that they were uh, they had an ability for uh, uh, and encouraged birth parents to rate it. Well, that's terrific. Um, if, if an agency will also give you a list of um, a couple of their clients on both sides, the adoptive and the birth, that it would be good to be able to talk with them. I'm not sure if agencies are willing to do that or if they have... Um, if they make that open, but if you can find somebody who has used their services, just like with anything else, that would be another good way to make sure that you're that you're choosing wisely. Um, did any either of the uh, of your t- uh, two children's uh, birth parents um, have they been critical? You said you had not uh, done that. Uh, were either of or any of the four critical of the way that your agency? And I'm not asking you to tell the agency um, handled uh, their situation. We lucked out, and and um, and I'm happy to say it was. Uh, is it okay to say? <laughs> sure. Well, no. Let's say what don't, just because I think it okay. might be better if we didn't. Yeah. Gotcha. They um, both Michelle and Crystal were were treated um, in a supremely professional fashion. They were not pushed. They were given resources for all of their options, and and. Um, enabled to make the decisions that they wanted and then supported in making that decision. So we were very pleased with how things turned out. All right. We got a one last question and it's from Bethany. How to facilitate openness when you are you do not live near your child's first family? Oh, that's a great question because that happens a lot. Um well there's a lot of um technology that can be used to have that contact. Um, from you know from Facebook and Skype and phones and everything, but also when we talk about openness, it's it's also a, a means of parenting, a, a, a facet of parenting, which is allowing your child to have his feelings, have to wonder things about his birth parents, about his origins, and to give him space and and an ear to go through those things. In the days of closed adoptions. I think adoptees were alone in that. They had to do it in secret and in shame. And, and if they ever wondered about their birth parents, then they were they were um, betraying their adoptive parents, and mm-hmm. and they had to choose one over the other. And any all of this stuff had to be done under the cover, so to speak. Just it, it tore. It, it you see stories of it tearing the child in half. So parenting just with openness, just uh, allow your child to to express feelings and wonderings and and then have the contact in the ways that you can using technology. And there's so much technology that is available. Um, Skype, 
Facebook, uh, other social networks as well, uh, old-fashioned telephone calling, um, and, and keeping in mind that Skype is, is a, it, the option was for video calling. So there's lots of of technological uh, help along the way, I think, for establishing uh, long distance. And, and as you say, in some ways, it's a it's almost it's a matter of attitude as much as a matter of actually uh, visibly seeing. It's more of uh, the emotional incorporating of this other person or other people into your child's life. That's that's almost as important um, for yeah. laying the groundwork for in the future. Well, thank you so much, Lori Holden, for being our guest today on Creating a Family. Let me quickly tell everyone that if you want to stay in touch with the latest developments in adoption or infertility, as well as receiving the upcoming week's Creating a Family blog and show topic, sign up for our weekly newsletter at the top left corner of any page, creatingafamily.org. Or if you prefer, send us us an email and ask us to add you, and you can send that email to Info, I-N-F-O, at creatingafamily.org. Now, keeping in mind that I know everybody's going to want to go out and buy the book, The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption by Lori Holden, with input from her daughter's first mom, Crystal Haas. Am I pronouncing that right, Haas? Yes, Haas. Haas, 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 okay. Um, You can uh, go to Amazon. It is on sale at Amazon. Um, to connect with and get more information uh, about Lori, you can go to her website, which is lavender l a v e n d e r lose l u z lavenderlose dot com, and I will be blogging on the topics of this show, uh, open adoption uh, today. Our, Tomorrow, I should say. It will be posted tomorrow. Uh, And uh, that is our way to facilitate discussion about this show. And I would love to have you participate in that. And you can check that out at creatingafamily.org slash blog. And I don't know if the date will be for 18-2013, April 18th, 2013. So if you're listening to this podcast uh, years from now, which you might well be, you can uh, go back and find it by just typing in the title, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Open Adoption, or you can give the date. You, either way, we'll, we'll get you there. Uh, again, Lori, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate your participation on our networks. Uh, thank we would you so much, like- John, and thank you to your savvy readers for the great questions. We would also like to thank another one of our gold sponsors for bringing you this show, Independent Adoption Centers, whose mission is to provide open adoption placement and counseling to birth and adoptive families. Uh, They do this within 49 states of the United States, and they are fully licensed in California, Indiana, Georgia, North North Carolina, and Texas. The UN estimates that there are 143 million orphans in the world, including 107,000 currently available for adoption in the U.S. foster care system. These kids, as well as the millions of older children throughout the world, deserve a home. To get more information about the U.S. children waiting for a family, you can go to the adoption resource page at creatingafamily.org, where we include links to various photo listings of some of these kiddos. Thanks for joining us today, and I will see you next week. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. 
I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Old moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations.